0: Welcome to the Inez Franklin Teaching and Sermons Podcast. Inez is a teaching pastor, public speaker, and founder at trochia.org. Learn more about Inez at www.inezfranklin.com. We hope this teaching brings you guidance, connection, or tools as we seek God together today. Enjoy the teaching. here. We have been on this series over the last, this is week six, talking about uh, being spiritually full. And uh, every week we've been talking about how God wants every single one of us to live at experiencing his absolute fullness to the maximum, to the full measure. And there's so many things in lives that will drain us of our spiritual fullness, right? So we talked about how crises, challenges in life will drain us spiritually. We might feel further away from God. We might have to start to have doubts. We might even get angry at God. All kinds of things in our time of crises will cause us to be spiritually at least drained, if not empty. We talked about loneliness, about times of isolation. We talked about how even sin separates us from God and how betrayal can be another way in which we experience spiritual drain. Today, we're going to talk about one more, the last one. We're finishing our series today in preparation for our next series. Today, we're going to talk about busyness. Not business, busyness. And I know that right away, in your mind, this is probably what comes up. Which is, uh, you know, you say hello to someone and you say, how are you doing? And your answer might be, I'm busy. I'm really busy. I am super busy. I am extremely busy. I wish I had an extra day of the week kind of busy. You know, it's like, can I be two people, two people, please? Because my calendar has no space in it at all. I can't do it all. I am busy. Anybody respond like that sometimes? You know, and I do think that that kind of busyness we're all kind of aware of. When we get busy like that, when our tasks and our to-dos get to be way too long, pretty soon we start to feel our lives unravel, and we, we make changes. We have to, because there's no way we can keep up. So all of us deal with that kind of busyness, and in some way, it's not hard for us to become aware when that busyness takes over our lives. But I want to talk to us about a different kind of busyness. I'm going to talk to us about a busyness that, frankly, you may not notice it's happening in your life. And it's a kind of busyness that I believe is responsible for the moral failures of leaders in the church and pastors. It's responsible for people who serve a church for years, and they burn out and they give out. I think this kind of busyness is responsible for even spiritual crises when people who are of faith, Give up on God altogether. And that busyness is when we try to do what only God can do. When we start to act and behave and and put ourselves in an active way to do something we have no power to do, but somehow we think we do. And it's like we're running in place and we're getting nowhere. That kind of busyness. You know, the sad part is so often that kind of busyness may be happening and we may not realize. We may be actually acting on it and not know it. And the best way I can describe this busyness for you, it's actually out of Proverbs, Proverbs 19. Look what it says. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. See, we all make plans. We all have these these things that we want to accomplish, and we think sometimes that we are God, and we try to, try to make things happen by our own strength, and there are some things that are beyond our control. And so we're going to look at a story, one more story out of David's life, and to look at what this busyness looks like, and how it is we can be aware of it, and how we get ourselves out of it, because it spiritually will drain us. And I don't know, uh, do you guys like movies? I love movies. Anybody? Am I dealing with it. I love movies. So one of my favorite ways movies are made is where they start with the end of the story, and then they kind of go back through the whole, like, how you got to that point. Like, there's a big crash or something happens, and you're, like, shocked when the movie starts, and then the rest of the movie is explaining what happened there. I don't know if you remember that one movie that the whole movie was backwards. It started with the end, and it just kept moving to the beginning. It was a very strange movie. That made me think too much. But... I won't preach this, but I am going to have us do something similar. We're going to go to the end of David's life. We're going to see what he said at the end of his life. And then we're going to go back to the point he is actually thinking about as he writes these words. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 23. Scripture tells us that these are the final words of David. Now, we don't know truly if he was in his deathbed and this is really the last thing he said. But it is the last prophecy, this last statement that he makes according to scripture. So I'm going to read it through for us. Listen to these words. These are the last words of David. The inspired utterance of David, son of Jesse. The utterance of the man exalted by the Most High. The man anointed by the God of Jacob, the hero of Israel's songs. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The rock of Israel said to me, When one rules over people in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of the Lord, he is like the light of morning at sunrise, on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after rain that brings grass from the earth. If my house were not right with God, surely he would not have made me with me an everlasting covenant arranged and secured in every part. Surely he would not bring to fruition my salvation and grant me my every desire. But evil men are all to be cast aside like thorns, which are not gathered with the hand. Whoever touches the thorns uses a tool of iron or the shaft of a spear. They are burned up where they lie. Now, I can teach a whole sermon on this, but I want us to just look at one thing. When he says this, If my house were not right, verse 5, surely he would not have made with me an everlasting covenant. David, on the last days of his life, is thinking back at a promise that God made him. And that promise was made to David when David was at the height of his career. When he was at the peak of everything he was doing. And that happened in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7. So if you want to go over there, let's go back in time to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7 and see what David is remembering, perhaps on his deathbed. Now listen to these words. After the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in the house of Cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. But Nathan that night, but that night, excuse me, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in the house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as a dwelling Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my, my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel." I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them so they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I've appointed leaders over my people Israel. And I will also give you rest from all my enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. And when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. David was finally at his highest point. You see, when David became king, the first thing he had to deal with were all the enemies. He was already at battle before he became king. He continued to be at battle with all the enemies as a king. And finally, there's rest in the land. And he makes himself a house of cedar. Now, in that time, a house of cedar was a very big deal. And it would have been an extremely expensive home, one that actually smelled really good. Cedar has a great smell. And it would have been absolutely gorgeous. And so you can imagine David... Maybe a nice throne built behind him and he's sitting thinking, this is good. I got the best of food. I got all my servants. There is peace in the land. The sunshine is up. It's all perfect. But then he looks out his window and he sees the tent. Of God's presence. You see, the tent was built hundreds of years before David got to this place. The tent had followed the people Israel everywhere they went in the desert. So, you know, and thousands of animals were sacrificed in the tent. Can you picture this tent? Hundreds of years in the desert dealing with desert storms, dealing with animals, sacrificial animals. How do you think that tent smelled? how do you think that tent looked? It probably looked pretty ragged, didn't it? Hundreds of years. We're not talking like a few years. Hundreds. Being dragged around from place to place. And David is in this awesome house, and down there is the tent. And David thinks, oh, I know what God needs. I know what I need to do. I need to build a house for God. And so he sets out this plan, and Nathan, his number one advisor, his prophet, says, Well, sure, David, you got, you have God's favor. Go ahead. Do as you plan. And it isn't until the next time when Nathan wakes up from hearing God again going, Oh, wait, God said no. How many times have you gotten yourself into a plan, and you think, Oh, this is a really good plan. I'm getting it going. And all of a sudden you hear a straight, No. So many times we get ahead of God. We do things that we think are good for God. We even say this is what we think God's calling us to do. We might say, hey, God, we're doing this for you. But in the end, that's not really the case. We might be actually doing it for ourselves. David was about to cross a line from being full of God to being full of himself. And sometimes that happens to us. You know, I was born in Puerto Rico. This is my birth certificate, and it says that. Look how pretty it is, and it says that my name is Ines Socorro Rivera Padilla. My name is actually longer. It's Ines Socorro Rivera Padilla Salas Morales. My abuelita named me Ines Socorro. Ines is a, a name for a, a Catholic saint, Santa Ines stands for purity. Socorro is another name for the Virgin Mary. It means help. My grandmother wanted me to be a nun. <laughs> and she made sure that I knew that. She made sure we got to church, that I went to catechism. She wrote me letters all the time. She was constantly praying for me. She had a plan in my life. And you know, I, as a child, I got at least this message that somehow my life mattered. There was some purpose in my life. But I didn't interpret this very well because you know what I did? We had the encyclopedia, Botronica. Anybody have the encyclopedia when you're growing up? I mean, we're aging ourselves right now, but way before the Internet. And uh, we had the encyclopedia at our house. And every year, the cool thing about the encyclopedia is we have this uh, yearbook. And when you pulled out this yearbook, it had pictures of people who had accomplished great things that year. Amazing people, science, technology, music, arts, you name it. Every possible category was represented there. Every one of these people were amazing. They lived with purpose. And I remember sitting down and looking at this book going, when is my picture going to show up in this book? That was my dream, that I would show up on the Encyclopedia Britannica, which I think those are collecting dust somewhere. You see, because... I wanted to build my own identity. I wanted to build my own purpose. I wanted to build my own future. And I look back at my life now, knowing what I know today, that every time I got myself in trouble, every time I did something that was foolish, it was driven by my desire to do what only God can do. That every time I got myself busy doing what only God can do, I just made a mess. And you know my testimony, you've heard the silly things that I did. I'm trying to say a nice word because I had a bigger word in mind. Is what happens. You see, we try to take, we try to take what only God can do, and we try to do it ourselves. The beautiful picture of what we see in this story is that God keeps his promises. God makes promises and he keeps them. God has a greater plan. David wants to build God a temporary physical house. God wants to build David an eternal, massive kingdom. I mean, look at the difference. God's going, hey, you're trying to build a little thing over here. I got something much bigger in mind. When you get tired of building that little thing, let me know, because I got something better for you. And you see, this is what all of us do. We forget that God keeps promises. You know, the kingdom that God promised David, it happened after his death. The words he said, the words we read, were actually happening way before this promise was fulfilled. And sure, we learn later that Samuel, David's son, actually builds a physical temple, which is destroyed twice, not once, but twice. But the real kingdom, the real king, the real descendant of David, whose kingdom will never end, That is Jesus. We see in scripture, when the angel came to Mary, say this to her. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. It's not that David is Jesus's father. But David came through the line of, the, uh, Jesus came through the line of David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And I could imagine, and you see it in scripture when you read the story, Mary says, how can this be? How is it possible that this could happen? You see, it's a gift. It's a gift. In Revelations 22, it says this, I, Jesus have sent my angel to give you this testimony for their churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. You see, what fills us, what Jesus says will fill us. Those of us who say and believe that Jesus is our Lord and Savior is the Holy Spirit. He leaves us with the Holy Spirit. The king who will rule forever pours now in us the fullness of God. We are now that temple. Not a physical building. Not a temporary structure. But an eternal structure. And you see, the thing that we try to build ourselves I don't know about you, but maybe the identity, maybe your legacy, maybe you're really, really busy creating a legacy for yourself, or you're really, really busy creating your own salvation. You know, most of the world religions, and even when Christianity goes awry, it's because we start to believe we can earn our way to God. We believe that it's something we have to do to be saved, but you see, we can't. God's grace is not conditional. It's a gift to us. Maybe you are thinking you're trying to secure your identity or you're trying to secure forgiveness. And you think that securing forgiveness is beating yourself even harder for what you did or begging someone else to forgive you. But see, forgiveness was a free gift given by God. Or you're working very hard at healing yourself or getting God's favor, or experiencing freedom, or experiencing victory against the enemy. None of these things we can accomplish ourselves, all of which can be accomplished by God. But we have to give it to him. So I got this quick picture for you. Look look at this picture. I think, I don't know if you've seen this online. Have you seen this before? You know, we hold on to our little earthly thing. And we think it's everything. Our little busyness, we think that's where we need to be. And we burn out. We get exhausted. We get discouraged. We lose hope. All along, Jesus is saying, I have something so much bigger for you so much greater, something that's eternal, something that's meaningful, purposeful, but you got to let go of that thing. What's the busyness that you need to let go of today? What's the thing that you need to release today? You see, we have a God that keeps his promises. We have a God that is generous. We have a God that intends to bring us eternity with Him. Why would we get stuck on the things of this world? Why would we hold on? Thank you again for listening. Make sure to learn more about Inez Franklin at www.inezfranklin.com. You can help share these teachings by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sending this episode to a friend. Make sure to follow Inez Franklin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more, where she is engaging with the community and inviting us to participate with God and His work together. Thanks again.